Hey everybody, quick note before the show gets started. Uh, we had some audio issues on John's track. Unfortunately, I cannot fix it in post uh, because it was recorded that way. It's not terrible. It's a little rough in the beginning, but the, it gets better as the show goes on. Uh, thanks for hanging out, and I'll try and fix it for any future recordings. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Scenario Showcase number two. Tonight, I've got a couple of guests with me, uh, Alex and John. You'll get to know them a little bit better here in just a moment. And we will be discussing two new scenarios to the show. The first one will be the Wolfnet AS350 Bunker scenario, the infamous or, or famous, whoever knows. Uh, bunkers, as well as a Death from Above Wargaming Intercept mission from their missions pack. So we'll be discussing those two tonight. Uh, just as a quick intro, if you haven't listened to the previous scenario or the previous episode, what we do is we just go through a couple of scenarios per episode. We review them. We talk about what we thought about them overall, uh, some some specific points, and, and if there are any um, maybe things we can do to, to improve them for your play. So with that, let's get to know our two guests. So uh, and for the show, we don't have a lot of a lot of intro, but to get our get to know our guests, we have three random questions coming straight from my own mind, uh, so that truly random. So starting with uh, Alex, which is the most derpy looking battle mech? Oh man, derpy looking battle mech. That's such a tough question. There's so many to choose from. Yep. Oh, uh, mm. I have to go with the Hussar. I think. I have an Ironwinds Metal model of the Hussar, and if you have ever seen what a Marauder, think of like a Marauder, but the legs are too far back and way too skinny and has a turret on top still, but the whole body is shaped like a blob of jelly, you know, or something just sitting (laughs) on on a table maybe and little crab claw arms kind of. It's, yeah. See, mine's up in my vote 100%. I like it because mine was very similar. Mine is the old sculpt of the penetrator, which looks like it's been folded in half with those backward legs. It's, it's really funky looking. Uh, so that was my vote as the most derpy, uh, John, how about yourself? Most derpy looking mech. Uh, it's going to be the Arctic Fox. That thing looks like a wind up toy. It's just so goofy. It's got (laughs) the Arctic Fox, huh? Mm, good choice. Mm. Like dome head and squat little legs are way too far back. Yeah, it's just a, such a goofy, goofy little guy. But um, <laughs> new models like too would be the Dasher. The Dasher? You don't like the old like stuck up, annoying, stuck up arms, arms thing? We always looked so no. Yeah, okay. another great classic choice there. If those upturned arms definitely make the Dasher look like something interesting <laughs> the funny little like monkey no, running around or whatever. <laughs> yeah it seems like less of arms and more just like things stuck onto a box um yeah i definitely agree i, I like that that's definitely derpy okay uh question number two hop country on your list of countries to visit with the epitaph that it can't be one that you visited before so we'll start with john on this one um, I've always wanted to go to Germany. Germany, okay, it's a lot of fun. A lot of my friends have been there. Rick. Oh, I like it. Little little bit of Central Europe there. 
Uh, how about yourself, Alex? Mm, I'm going to head down south a little further. So there's lots of countries I like to visit, but the one that's been on my mind most recently, I think, is Italy for some reason. Okay. I don't know, something about the geography, you know, it's just a peninsular island with, you know, a few other islands. And, uh, you know, of course, there's all the food, uh, yeah. lots of uh, racing stuff out there for people that like motorsports and stuff like that. And, yeah, lots of great skiing, too. Seems like a lot of stuff that'd be interesting to go check out. Yeah, no one ever goes to Italy. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not a popular <laughs> yeah. hotspot at all, right? I've mean, been to Europe before, just never made it to Italy. So it's uh, yeah. one on the list for sure. Yeah, my my personal one is Ecuador because I uh, just kind of looking into it a little bit. Uh, it has a lot of different kind of uh, geographic zones that have different, you know, you can go from a beach to a high mountain pass with a lot of snow down to the Amazon all in one day. So that kind of interests me. That was my answer. Okay, number question number three. We'll go back starting with Alex. Favorite flavor of potato slash tortilla slash corn chips. What's your favorite chip? Ooh, hmm. It has to fit in those categories, right? Huh? Hmm. Do pretzels count or no? No, nope, sorry, pretzels are out. It's got to be yeah, chip form. Right. Uh, I will go with the La Favorita, La Favorita brand tortilla chips. I think they're made in uh. Centennial, Colorado, or Commerce City, Colorado. Somewhere up near in the Denver metro area they're made, but they sell okay. them in local uh, King Supers. That's like the Kroger brand grocery store in Colorado. They sell them over the place. They're my number one buy for when it comes to tortilla chips for dipping. La what, what flavor? Or they just have one flavor? Uh, they come in white corn and yellow corn, and I'll go with the yellow corn. Nice. Okay. It's a homemade man. Yeah. Okay, pretty, uh, pretty John. basic answer. I'm not gonna lie. You know, it's a, well. I mean, you can <laughs> always add more. Up. You can yeah. always add more to a corn chip, yeah, right? I love tortilla chips. Um, my favorite though has got to be like the little jalapeno flavored uh, kettle kettle chips. Those are so good. Mmm. Yeah. Or Yummy. like the Boulder brand, sticking with the local brand. It is. I don't yeah. Know. It's got like a white and green bag. So we're Alex and I representing Colorado tonight on chip front. <laughs> all right i like it john yeah <laughs> i i'm a straight up just doritos man i love doritos and my favorite flavor um currently is probably there's like a, a barbecue type flavor i really like it it's good but before that it was some sort of hot wings flavor of doritos but they've discontinued it tears from I have a, a, very nice question for you matt are you yeah hit me doritos finger liquor or finger <laughs> a finger liquor is that what yeah, you just yeah, asked yeah. me uh i definitely do you it or do you wipe it yeah. oh i definitely lick it it's if that's what i'm there for is the flavor and i'm not going to leave that flavor on my fingers wipe that off that's money down the drain it's the only way to go for sure yeah yeah, yeah. i mean my grubby little fingers doesn't matter it's all good <laughs> why john are you a wiper or a washer or something what's yeah, going I on feel- here yeah, what's going That's on? It's a good question. I think I think my wife would want me to be a wiper, but I'm definitely a licker. Yeah, there we go. All okay. right. My That's man. fine. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so now that we know everything about there there is to know about all three of us, we will go on to the first scenario. Nav point alpha reached. Okay, everyone. So our first scenario for tonight that we're going to review is straight from the Wolfnet alpha strike 350 tournament rule set and it is bunkers so this one has been around for a couple years and i know a lot of our listeners have played this one before and it's definitely a good one it's i mean i'll 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 spoil it it's not my favorite 
of their packet, but some people really like it, so we'll kind of get into it. Um, we kind of have a little bit of some questions uh, about each of these scenarios, and the first one is, did you enjoy playing the scenario? So we'll start with John. Do you like this scenario? Is this this one that you enjoy yeah, playing? Actually, this is one of my favorites from the WolfNet packet, so um, I really like the uh, the tension of having to know when to go on the offense or when to stick to defense. It's, it's pretty fun. Okay. Cool. Uh, Alex, how about yourself? Where does this kind of, do you like this one or not? What do you like? Yeah, I I absolutely like this scenario a lot. Um, I think I've played it three times total. Once against uh, Brian, he's one of the local players down here. Once again, Valhalla Club's very own Ben Kleinfelter at David's house uh, (laughs) a year ago or so. And I think once also against uh, Chandler from uh, On the Order of Battle Mechs uh, and uh, Charlie Company fame orange shirts taco trucks all that stuff but uh <laughs> this is definitely a i think a more please scenario for me i'm i'm a big fan of this one yeah i uh yeah i don't know i, I think one of the things that kind of throws me off about this one is that in this one you've got a kind of a subset of units that are particularly stronger for just they can they don't really it's kind of like they've got a superpower, those infantry that can enter into the into the building. Oh, so I guess I sh- we should describe it slightly. But uh, for those of you that haven't played this, there each player has three of their own bunkers, uh, and so there's six bunkers in total. And the bunkers have uh, twenty health points, I believe. And there's a it's twenty. Okay, and so. You basically uh, are dividing up this this twenty damage into the four points that you can earn for this scenario. So you can either do damage by shooting through the door of this bunker uh, with any weapons, uh, just like normal in in any Alpha Strike game, or you can kind of implant infantry. They'll stay in there for a turn, and then they'll come back out the next turn, and the thing will magically blow up. And you get all that damage towards your your point total. So with that said, yeah, I think those the the infantry. I mean, it's kind of there to give the infantry a reason to be there. If if you didn't want them to be in your list otherwise, uh, but it kind of throws me off. And so it's not not my favorite. Um, but I get I definitely get like that tension, like you were talking about, John. That kind of kind of brings people in. I'm gonna chime in and say I think you're absolutely right, Matt. That it is kind of a little throws you off your game a little but i think uh from listening to some of the wolf net 350 guys talk on the podcast that was kind of the intention of a scenario it makes you have a reason to bring infantry if you didn't have one already it it throws you off it gives you a different challenge there which i think that's in some sense uh, what you're you're mentioning is working exactly as intended i think i mean yeah it, it definitely frustrates me that's for sure um <laughs> always a good thing to do frustrate matt right <laughs> i mean yeah that's that's, that's what wolf nets all, all about i'm sure um but yeah I, I think it's it's definitely an interesting one I, I would not say that it's like a bland scenario at all um that that is for sure let's see um so we know you guys are definitely fans when uh, kind of like when would you play this scenario? Would you play it kind of a more of narrative type things, or would you, you? I mean, obviously this is for a tournament rule set, but do you feel this is good for a tournament set? When when do you guys think? Let's start with John on that one. I think it's firmly a uh, pick up and play or tournament play uh, type of scenario. Um, it's good for either, you know, and 
the beauty of the wolf net mm-hmm. scenarios are that they're very pickup play friendly. You know, you just bring 200 points and you can game going with your buddy and have it done in 80 minutes, which is a huge plus. So yeah, pickup play and tournament play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's kind of weak on the narrative side because uh, like in my brain, I'm like, why are these bunkers so close to each other if they're on opposing sides? But minor issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like it. Okay, uh, Alex, what do you think? When do you, do you play this at all times or just select times? What do you think? I'm gonna mostly echo John here. So I think this 100% fits in super well tournament tournament wise. You know, it's one of those scenarios that really drives the way you have to think about making your list and have units available that can handle this scenario. Um, you know, there's a few of those in AS350, and this one definitely I think is stands as one that. You know, something you kind of group together is you have to drive your list towards this, but this is one that I think stands very far apart from the rest that makes you think about things in a different way and prepare for. Yeah. I think it's a little less good for pickup. It depends upon, I guess, what you're trying to accomplish and how casual you're going, because it, I think it is a pretty thought-provoking and a little less of like a, a beer and pretzels type scenario than maybe some other ones. But I also agree with John a lot that, you know, uh, how do we end up with two bunkers in the very middle, like, where they can walk from one window to the other. And I don't know, <laughs> pretty, it's pretty fun. You know, you could probably think of some way to lure it in there, but uh, yeah, that is a tough thing to do. I, I think if you're doing something narrative, it'd probably be a campaign play. Be a, I don't know, maybe doing some asymmetric a little bit differently than that, you know, where it's like just one set of bunkers instead of the, def- the like a defender attacker type thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can I can definitely see, you know, that kind of difficulty and kind of explaining away like why these things are so close together. I could kind of see it like, oh, you're in the middle of a battle and like both sides have kind of like taken these progressively kind of towards one another. And now you're trying to force your way across and take the remainder of them while while keeping your own. But right. Yeah, right. I, yeah just I the agree. force distribution of the bunkers, they have to be this far apart from the edges and this close to each other. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you're doing that narrative, you could probably take it and take some liberties with it and modify it to make it a little better of a narrative thing to fit whatever train you're doing. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think for myself, I find this as definitely a good tournament one because with the tournament, you kind of have this prep, like you're talking about it kind of, it does require a little bit more thought, especially if you're trying to inject uh, infantry, you infantry units in when you, you're not normally using them for other for other play um i find it is a little bit it it can be a little bit more difficult for just um just kind of pick up games mostly because if you don't know that you're going to be playing this one and you bring a force that's not not well designed for it to to, to kind of take advantage of those infantry rules then you're kind of like the other person may already have the advantage just by having infantry Whereas you brought maybe just a mech, you know, a big old slow mech force that doesn't have anything with that. So with that in mind, it could be a little bit less more for pickup. But if you bring a general, a real good general list to a pickup game, then then you should be okay with this scenario as well. Um, yeah, it's a super fantastic point there because I mean you have to do fifteen damage into a bunker to even get an objective point, right? So yeah, like that's a that's several turns of shooting with a mech or one turn of shooting with yeah. all your mix right into a bunker and you have to get into very odd position to even get there to hit the open door where you can do that damage without infantry so yeah super good I, point matt as an aside yeah, i think the, i feel like yeah, bunkers ahead, is one of the, the scenarios in wolfnet that you have to like benchmark your list against like any list i make any combination of 200 points i make sure like hey can this do you know 20 plus damage in a round if i need to shoot at the bunkers 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, um, yeah, like you're mentioning, Alex, you know, the, the positioning of the doors, you basically have to be within this little kind of like box in the other player's area to be able to shoot into that door if you're not just like hurrying and dropping off infantry. Um, so yeah, you're like, it's, it's a real risk to go. Um, but there, I mean, it, it's like, I do, you know, like John, you mentioned the tension and I definitely get that tension of like, do I, how much do I go with and how much do I reserve for my side to protect my bunkers? So yeah, for, I, for the tension thing, I do, I do like the scenario for sure. Um, let's see. Our next little question is kind of the replayability. Is this like you would play it once in a while? Uh, you would, you know, obviously you guys like it. Um, would you kind of like just keep this on the list of, you know, kind of like pickup games? You, you know, if you rolled it, you would play it at any time, or is this like play only once in a while, play every time I play? You know, what, what do you guys think as far as replayability? Uh, it's a scenario I'm happy to. And I'll play anytime um, and kind of like yeah. maybe by design. It's also one of the scenarios that I think people have the most questions about. And they're like, hey, is my list going to be able to, to handle this well? So there's a lot of times at the club people will ask me like, hey, can we play bunkers? I want to get some practice um, with it. So like, mm-hmm. you know, I've played a lot of locals playing bunkers. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm happy to play. It's a fun one. Yeah, okay. And it's uh, one of those ones that nice. like, uh, produce blowout wins and if it does um, before you get there just because it, it, it's so hard to get within that you know your opponent's geometry of where they can you can actually target their bunkers so like there's, there's just there's a nice build-up in bunkers i always feel like yeah yeah what do you what do you think alex on that one mm, replayability is a tough one i so uh, I think I'd play it under a few conditions. One, if you know you roll that one on the D8 in a tournament and you have to play it for a AS250 <laughs> tournament. As yeah. I think that was round three for uh, LVO in 2023 this year when that came up. And that was a fun one to see. Yeah. But I mean, I, I really wouldn't play it unless you alluded to this earlier to yourself, Matt. If we'd have purpose-built AS350 lists and, you know, if someone wanted to like, practice it or something, I'd play it. But uh, it's it's not one I'd want to like propose ahead of time to someone say, like, hey, let's meet up and play bunkers because there's a lot of it, it would totally change the way you'd think about making a list. I think if you knew you're playing bunkers and that could or could not be fun. But if you just come with a standard ASUV list kind of designed to take all eight of their scenarios, then I think it's uh, definitely be one that I'd welcome and be happy to play. Yeah, I think uh, when I think about replayability for a scenario, it's kind of. um I kind of think about it, not quite mathematical, but something where the kind of how many times you have a different interaction. So obviously you're going to have a different interaction with each player that you play, with each set of forces that you play. So those are already kind of two interactions you would get in in whatever time, you know, different times you played this. But one of the things that stays stationary in this um, scenario is the setup. So for that, um, the the replayability kind of relies on the difference in terrain. So like you you know, especially since players get to set out the terrain usually with this scenario, uh, it that definitely becomes the the kind of the controlling factor I see is you know as far as you have a different player with different forces, but also the terrain changes for the actual setup. And so I do see there's a good amount of um, 
of replayability. The the actual like bunkers aren't moving or anything like that. So the objective doesn't really change or move like that. But there is, I think there's a good good degree of replayability just because of those different factors in this. So let's see. What's our next one? Okay. So beyond replayability, um, when you guys have played this previously, have you seen this scenario kind of become, <clears throat> excuse me, become pretty one-sided or, you know, is there something about this? And I think you guys have kind of alluded to this already, but is there something specifically in this scenario setup that can cause it to become one-sided pretty quickly? Um, Alex, what do you think on that? Well, I think we've already harped a little bit upon the uh, force generation aspect of it. You know, if you have the infantry in your force to go infiltrate the bunkers and knock it out uh, per the per the three-step process of resolving infiltration of bunkers in the scenario, then you're definitely in a good position to to use that. If someone didn't have infantry in their list, it could be a uh, pretty swingy thing. I'd say that there's a the one side in this a lot maybe depends upon the players themselves you know there's there's a couple ways you can approach this either getting really aggressive up front and trying to go for bunkers or or trying to play the more defensive game and make the enemy go first uh it's and it all comes down to how the two players play that out the one kind of one-sided kind of gimmick thing i think that might need uh mentioning if you've never seen it happen before uh if some if a unit goes into a bunker I can't remember exactly how it resolves, but they have to then appear in the door of the bunker the following turn. I think there's a way you can block them in there if they can't jump out so that when the bunker explodes, they explode with it. So it's a few kind of uh, maybe gimmicky things that you might want to watch out for if you've never yeah, seen you, it before. You can definitely do that. Um, re- make sure you read through the res- resolution and understand how that works out. Oh, Sorry, no, you're John, absolutely you right. You can block and blow up the uh, occupants. Um and I think the only negative is you take two damage yeah. to do it if you're on a bunker when it explodes. Ah, yeah. uh, gotcha. So it's not an insta-kill, but two damage on infantry is uh, usually... No, no, no. Pretty, the uh, units within, I think, insta-die. It's it, the, the blocker. Any, any unit that's on the bunker when it blows up takes two damage. And any infantry that can't escape oh, okay. are, are killed. So. That's not too bad. I, mean, I can imagine a lower sense of that, too. You know, like if you're stuck with people at the gate when you're trying to escape, you kind of go down with the ship uh, there, yes huh? yeah i think i ran a dasher <laughs> into a bunker once to do that so it, it killed itself to, to wipe out <laughs> some elementals yeah oh man i mean i don't know about you guys but i totally picture this as what is it return of the jedi type bunker thing where they're like you know you've got the uh, sts the shield, walker generator. Out front. shield yeah. generator right yep mm-hmm. yeah so when i see the unit like getting out in front and waiting for you know the infantry to come out that's what i think <laughs> yeah um yeah i think the that was one of the two kind of things that i thought about was how you can trap the infantry in there um that is a little bit gimmicky but also with the premier rule set for wolfnet um you can also use units to kind of hide the infantry so they take infantry cover behind things and in that case even if you destroy the unit in front of them because that doesn't happen until the end phase you still can't really see the infantry behind them and so the infantry is kind of really protected uh so i've seen that used i i think um exploited is the word i would say um so i'm not a huge fan of that part the infantry Um, like non rain cover rule is very questionable (laughs) but like i think they just recently errata that like if your margin for the attack fails by the amount 
the difference of the intervening cover, it hits the cover instead. So like if you use your dasher and jump off your elementals and they have like TMM three behind a dasher plus it's 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 plus three to hit, right? The infantry. So if yeah, your attack so. into them fails, you know, by three or less, it hits the dasher instead. So that's it's a lot more fair now. It used to be pretty pretty abusable. Yeah, it's that plus three is a big big it's deal. Huge, in, it's in huge in a PD six bell curve. It's insane. Yeah, and I run with skill fours, Ooh. and so I'm like, you know, I'm po, yeah. po boy in it. So it's that plus three is really hurtful. Um, but uh, as far as like things that kind of swing it one way, I think it's definitely like like you mentioned, Alex, the kind of makeup of each person's force, and I think there are. You know, you got the really fast Omnimechs that can drop off battle armor or whatnot, um, or really fast um, people haulers, you know, that they're running like they're getting the TMM4 and they're still dropping off infantry, a big old infantry troop that can blow up a, a building and you're already like a point and a half towards the four if you blow one up. So I think it it's actually one that I... I for one reason I do like is because it really drives people to go for the objectives rather than to just be deathmatch, which is in my book. Awesome. Because yes, yes. that's what Wolfnet I think is one of its strengths is that the objectives are so there. There's so much reward for going for the objectives in some of the scenarios. So I, I really enjoy that as well. Um, Hey, let's see our next little point of the review is what would you guys, if you could, uh, what or, or you know, kind of homebrew it? What would you change about the scenario, or, or what might you add to it to make it even better? Let's go with uh, John. Uh, it's a minor thing, but I would miss so that you cannot enter a bunker on turn one, um, just to slow the game down a little bit, because already the wolf in that scenario is really encourage you to take some speedy units, and it can kind of get out of hand. Um, I feel that about a lot of their scenarios, actually that they should not have scoring on turn one. Okay, so that would be just only turn one, right? So after that, it's all, That's it's all open to, yeah, to score. Give slower yeah. lists and like IS heavy lists uh, more, more equal footing. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about you, Alex? Anything that you would change or try out? Mm. It's really hard pressed for me to think of things I want to change with the Wolfness scenarios because I know just how much playtesting they put into things and there's probably all the ideas i have they've thought of before and thought of them not being good for a reason or another but you know i'm thinking through a scenario if you don't have infantry to infiltrate the bunker or maybe they got killed off early or something like that or trapped whatever you know it seems like so punishing to have to shoot through the doors and everything to get through something with a regular mech or vehicle to get any points on the board so i'd say maybe something about lowering the points of the bunker slightly but i'm not sure how the math would look out for objective points you have to totally redo that or make the math harder i'm sure which isn't great for people that are maybe in round five of a tournament trying to do more complicated math mm-hmm. or maybe change the angle at which you can attack the bunker and of course then that could be kind of lame if someone just stays on their side of the board and hits the mobile targets all day so maybe make them have to be within medium range to attack from any angle or something, not just uh-huh. long range or something, right? So some, something that make lists that don't have infantry or the infantry got off earlier a little more feasible, I think, would be the only possible criticism I can throw this way. 
But yeah, you know, I I'm really happy with the way it stands as it is. Just to just to stay in my position one more time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've I've got some just just random thoughts, and you know, currently all the bunkers point to one central spot for the defenders. What if the bunkers all face to the rear, so that you couldn't cover? Couldn't you know? It, it would make it more difficult to cover the entrances of all three at once with some massive you know two massive tanks that have tons of armor and can just sit and become a turret what do you guys think about I, I that like where your head's at but i, I don't think it would yeah. deliver the desired result you know it, again would just further emphasize, emphasize speed for you know list building and on the defensive side you know you can still plop a hill in the middle of your deployment zone and then put some woods on it and then put your little tmm1 guys on there and just let them camp um so it doesn't i don't think it would change much personally but okay um here's another thought what about or or what do you guys think about the number of bunkers that are out for each team do you think three is fantastic or what do you guys think about maybe you have four and each one has 10 points or you have two and they you know they equal out the to to have the 40 points or the four points or whatever each one's worth two uh what do you guys think about changing the number of bunkers you know, you bring up a really interesting point. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking through uh, some of the late game choices you have to make in bunkers. I I think a lot of people that have played this a few times have been in a situation where maybe they're they kind of got uh, on the good end of things and they're they've got the opponent down to two bunkers, you know, destroyed one bunker left for the opponent, and they have a choice. Well, do I want to go for the the kill on this one unit that's left or do i want to try to keep that enemy unit alive and go for the bunker that's left uh you know because if you have only two bunkers destroyed and no other damage on bunkers that puts you at i believe uh it's two vp yeah because uh, you'll have done 40 points of damage yeah it's two vp right so you have to make a choice do i want to try to go for that third bunker and max out my vp or do i want to just go for the kill and end the game and let him possibly turn something around when i've got the table almost done and I think maybe Matt's idea of changing up the number of bunkers or distribution could possibly uh, do that. Uh, maybe make that decision a little less hard, but maybe the hard decisions are the fun of the game. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, a good scenario should make you make decisions, right? I, I definitely I definitely see that. And whether it be at the beginning or at the end of the scenario or whatnot, I, I see that as a, a strength here for sure. Um, Here's another thought, another idea. What if you gave the bunkers some sort of defensive measures? So like they get like a, you know, they just have a short range two or something like that where they can actually defend against the infantry that are trying to enter it. Uh, what do you guys think about that one? Um, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of changing the, the number of bunkers or their deployment. I mean, I think even like, Going uh-huh. back to your second point, even changing the geometry of the bunkers so that they make like a right triangle. Um, so you would have just like mm-hmm. one flank would have a forward bunker and two in the back. And then your you and your opponent would kind of play diagonally across from each other, would have a big impact on gameplay. Um, but uh, giving the bunkers okay. guns, I think, starts running into issues of like you're adding complexity and you have to ask yourself, is the complexity that I'm adding adding an equal amount or greater amount of fun. And I, I guess that's kind of w- what I'm wondering about. Mm. What do you yeah. think, Alex? I, I think I agree with John a whole lot on this. Uh, the, the one caveat I'd add is 
let's say that I do want to pull something like this out for or modify it, maybe slightly for a narrative type game. I think it'd be great to set something up with my little purpose built AC fifty bunkers. And you're like, oh, he's like, oh yeah, I know what this is when my my player is playing in my campaign and trying to go for them. And then all of a sudden, guns come out at the end and start blasting away. I think that'd be actually a really fun idea to kind of uh, really surprise someone that's not expecting that after seeing the scenario in AS350 and knowing that that's not part of it. But I definitely agree with uh, John about, you know, it's, it's an 80 minute ideal scenario length for AS350 tournaments. And I think adding the complexity would uh, slow that down a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was just a thought. And now I'm thinking, what if you could put your own infantry in your bunkers? Uh, kind of like a, uh, uh, what do they call that? Where you can go inside a building and be in a building. Uh, could you put your own infantry into these bunkers and then have them fight out? But it would, it definitely would slow down the ability to destroy bunkers with infantry, but uh, you could still fire in and cause the damage uh, from the external uh, shots with weapons. I don't know. Just some, just some thoughts that I had. Uh, any other ideas that you you guys kind of popped into your mind about uh, any any changes or anything you guys see in this before we move on? I think I'm good on this end. That's a uh, you gave me some fresh ideas to think about though, Matt. That's uh, some interesting stuff, and I like your idea too, John. Especially about the maybe offsetting the center bunkers a little bit, especially with the different angles that might result in for the entrances. That could be a very very unique game too compared to the current. Adjacent to bunkers yeah, paradigm. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> thematically, I guess it'd be a win. Um, I'll have to try it out with Ben next time we get together to game. Have you not tried the diagonal bunkers yet? I thought you had, John. I can't remember what diagonal ones you've done. Mm, nope. Yeah. I was okay. just inspired by you. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think you know, playing around with these is kind of fun because it's obviously, you know, a well-thought-out, well-tested uh, kind of scenario. And definitely creates a lot of that tension already. But uh, I think throwing in kind of different uh, variants can kind of, you know, bring back if you're like, oh, I've played bunkers and I've played bunkers and I've played bunkers, but you haven't played bunkers that fire back or, you know, you haven't played bunkers that are in a different. Yeah, no, man. Excuse I, me. I, I love it. And so, I think we've, yeah, we've done it in the past where we kind of cribbed from like the WolfNet scenarios or pre-existing scenarios. And we started to adapt them to like our narrative events. Like when we ran. Um, uh, the battlefronts campaigns when we were going for the history yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, that was, exactly. that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, uh towards that with the battlefronts, because I think we had like larger, so it was it was above two hundred uh PV for that. So like I can't we kind of you know, we put in an extra bunker or something like that for mm-hmm. this one or or we made them I can't yeah. remember, you know. So I think this can you can scale it, um, and I think it still stays pretty good um, as far as you know. You change the number or health of each of the yeah, bunkers and it was a casual but setting too. We still worked tinkering, so no one was like bent out of shape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which some can get in a tournament setting. Yeah. So yeah, maybe not tinker at the tournament. Yeah. Okay, everyone. So that is our first scenario of the evening. That is Wolfnet AS three fifties bunkers. Nav point beta reached. Okay, everyone. So on to scenario two for this evening. This is straight from Death from Above's scenario pack, their campaign missions. And this one was brought to our attention by Alex. And that's why he gets to explain the scenario, kind of give us a brief of what this scenario is all about. Alex, go for it. Ooh, intercept. All right, that's what it's about, guys. Let's talk about it. 
No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so Intercept from Death from Above Wargaming, in my opinion, is one of the best scenarios out there, which is why I proposed it. So it's kind of a little bit complicated to think about, but, you know, it's like most of the Death from Above Wargaming scenarios, it's kind of centered around and oftentimes shown as a 4x4 board with Hexless Classic or Alpha Strike Battletech with a little bit of uh, interesting uh, house rules. Most notably is that uh, they do a 1MP to 1-inch conversion, vice a 1MP to 2-inch conversion. But onto the actual way it works is you have six different objectives laid out, and they cannot be within a certain distance from each other. Uh, I think they have to be at least 12 inches away from all all of these six objectives, 12 inches away from each other, and six inches away from home edges or side edges. And basically, starting on turn two onwards, a random one of those six objectives will go hot every turn. Once it goes hot, you can capture that objective by being within three inches, or I think it's one uh, hex if you're playing hex-based uh, Battletech. Within three inches of it, for two consecutive end phases, uncontested, you capture that objective. So yeah, and that, this that's goes one on of the primary, right? For the primary scoring that on that is one. is the primary. Yep, absolutely. Yep, that's <laughs> the main objective of the game. And the, and the note here, only five objectives total will ever go hot. The sixth objective does not go hot. Uh, so the other objectives, uh, all those are worth one point that we just talked about for the objectives going hot and capturing them after standing on them for two turns uncontested. Uh, but you can also gain objectives, one objective for destroying an enemy unit. And uh, one objective also on there is three points if you have the perfect timing uh, capture. In this case, it would be if you were to score two objectives in the same turn. And of note, this was not a part of Intercept when it first came out. I have some of the old PDFs still, and this uh, is a newer thing they added in. But it's, a, it's quite an interesting feat, a little hard to do. So that's, I think, why it has a little bit of a point premium. Uh, you guys want to circle back and get anything I missed talking about the objective or about the scenario? Um, yeah, I think I think one of the interesting I, things about this is that each player gets to place three of them, three of the different objectives. So at the beginning, uh, you're you're kind of pl- you're kind of trying to like make it so that you know wherever you end up, you'll have some that are easier for yourself. But then the defender gets to choose which side of the board they're going on to start. And then the attacker's on the other side. So it's an interesting kind of like pregame where you're kind of trying to set yourself up for success. But then maybe the other player, you know, if you're the attacker, maybe the defender's like, oh, well, I want this side of the board because he set me up really well. So when I played it, I thought that was kind of an interesting pregame. John, you had something? Oh, I had to review the page. I, I had it wrong that the six objective is removed, but I guess that makes sense because it prevents ties. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. Yeah, so yeah, only you're only going to end up with five of these primary points. And then if, if it's a tie, it goes to the secondary points, right, Alex? Uh, well, yeah, that, that, I think that is true. Yeah, I think that's true. Because you only have 10 turns to, to finish this scenario. After 10 turns, whatever the score is, you know, even if someone hasn't gotten the, the, the three to two, you could still have a, a primary tie, but then it would go to secondary points right. uh, to see who wins then. Yeah. You need to um, score at least else? two primary objectives or the entire thing's a wash. Yeah. The primary points, at least, then it would just go straight yeah. to secondary again. Right. So I, 
I think that if you you have to view this scenario sometimes in the context of the Death of Wargaming's overall campaign rules. I think that all of those mission objectives count towards the victory point counter. And I think that the victory points, whoever has the most is considered the winner. Mm-hmm. Of course, with the exception listed in their victory conditions there that John just mentioned. If you only have if no one has at least two, then it's considered a draw. So I think that all of them actually do count equally, but mm-hmm. uh that's something I'm gonna spend the rest of this scenario pulling up PDFs here to try to figure out what the actual answer <laughs> I, is, huh? Yeah. I think it's used as a tiebreaker, is my understanding. Um yeah, because I know they have the kind of the levels of kind of the disparity between the two scores is like the level, like, you know, major victory, a minor victory draw yeah. type thing like that. It is confusing, though. Right. Yep. So I went and pulled up their their campaign rules and, you know, states objective points that, you know, there's nothing that differentiates the secondary and primary C in the objective and objective points section. Mm. And then the margin of victory is uh, dependent upon. Uh, let's see here. Yeah. Searching, searching. Anyway, we don't have to keep talking about this too much. <laughs> Decide with your <laughs> opponent how you want to play under the secondary objectives, I guess, before you start is what I'd what I'd say. Yeah, well, if all points were the same, I played my son uh, on this scenario earlier today, and I lost 3 to 10. So, yeah, it was a, it was a bad oh, day Right for spanking for you, huh, Matt? Yep, yep. Letting, That's, letting I mean, not too uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> trained a good mech warrior there take it, easy yeah. on them. It, it didn't take much much yeah. letting <laughs> okay uh but it was good no uh so as far as you know uh do you guys enjoy this uh this scenario well alex we'll just start with you you know what do you enjoy about it i'm uh pretty clearly in the more please category so i think this is a very perfect combination of you know requiring you to bring kind of a balanced force that can both sort of hold on to an objective or defend a little bit and do some damage kind of make someone think twice about trying to challenge you for contesting objective you know that decision making on do i really want to go challenge that objective that went hot on the far side of the board deep in enemy territory or He's not be right back and of course what's in all Battletech, what's in all Battletech games too is the luck factor you know are all the objectives going to roll hot on my side first the opponent's side first is that really even a good thing? Because if they roll hot on my side first, I know my opponent's going to be in my face trying to challenge me, making it all that much harder for me to get onto his side of the board to get some, you know? So I think yeah. it just has so many variables that come in that really challenge your decision-making, making it uh, awesome. More please all the way for me, 100%. <laughs> nice. How about yourself, John? I think you you played through this uh, using Alpha Strike uh, a week ago or so. If I heard correctly, I think John might have uh, headed off to the loo here. Oh, no. Poor John. Well, we'll continue, and I'll just talk about what I thought. I, I really like this. I've only played it once, but we used kind of the one-to-one uh, movement, and I thought that definitely made it more kind of difficult uh, to get across the board because what ended up happening is, of course, uh, all three of the ones that went hot, for the first three that went hot, were on my son's side, so on the opponent's side. And so with that kind of one-to-one movement, it's not very many inches that you're moving. So to actually get across, if someone has placed it like right at the limit, as far back as possible, it's kind of hard to get there, especially because we played in some city terrain. And so it was like no line of sight to fire anything long range or even medium sometimes. Um, 
couldn't get there because I was moving slowly. Um, what I could do is because we were using their modifiers for uh, range, it was easier to hit things. So that was good. Uh, but to actually get to the, those primary objectives was pretty difficult if there was a lot of stuff in between, a lot of terrain in between. Mm. Uh, when you've played it before, Alex, have, how do you think like the terrain kind of density plays a role in this scenario and kind of how it, how it outcomes? I think that definitely is a huge factor. Uh, if you can't put pressure on an opponent's objective in their territory coming hot, it can feel kind of hopeless. And, you know, if, you know, if that happens to you too many times, that can, uh, definitely uh be a negative experience i think um yeah terrain density can play a factor you know are you playing what era are you playing in are you playing in succession wars with skill four pilots as i think matt is a uh previously <laughs> outed skill four pilot player you know you can't true, really it's put true. that pressure on the opponent right yeah um you know if i've played this mostly in a more of a gm leading a player type context where you i kind of try to place them in areas that are more fun mm -hmm. um i think i've played it once or played it twice with four by four hexless classic once with hex based classic and once in alpha strike and uh had a lot of fun uh, all around i think the only time i played as an adversarial like uh, we actually going to play some was the hex based classic format okay. uh which um was a little bit a little bit different and uh, maybe cut down on some of the the, the pain you're talking about <laughs> well yeah you know the the um uh, the chances of that happening are quite low that all three will be on the opponent's side especially because it's like sequentially more likely that it will be one of your you know one on your side the more that it happens so you know after one is on his side then it's more likely that it will be on your side next it, you know so it, it is a dice game right so there is that um um, but I think there are, yeah, some, some things to think about when you, when you think about this scenario, like, like you mentioned, you've played this as a GM a little bit more. So you're the one placing where the objectives are. Um, and I think that that has a lot to do with it. Like how much you can kind of place those in locations that are accessible to both sides rather than only accessible to one side. And it comes down to whoever rolls the better. <laughs> so you're not relying on just like kind of somewhat random chance. I mean, you're, you're obviously your unit choice is involved, but um, but there is that chance that you know, yeah, especially if this, Matt. What was your fastest unit whenever you were playing uh, this map with your wrist snare with your son? Yeah, so I had I had some pretty quick units actually. I had uh, I had a viper and I had a spider. So I mean, those are both moving 16 but only moving eight because of the one-to-one -one. Mm -hmm. and then uh they're obviously not the strongest of <laughs> of units and so um with the placement of my my son's kind of uh objective areas they were right back in the back surrounded by buildings and so it was like well I can jump over to these and try and like at least get within three inches, which would be really good. Uh, but he kind of surrounded them and it just happened that they were the ones that came hot. And so he was already prepared uh, to kind of defend them. So it was kind of like mm. chance played a role in my particular experience. Uh, but overall, there is some luck or some, you know, chance that goes into it just because it's dice rolls. 
Yeah, so I'm doing some quick math here. So I think the furthest away that he could place an objective, your son, if he's just trying to be mean to his dad and be as hard as he can, is 42 inches away from your edge of the board, right? Yeah. So then if you're within 39 inches, you can actually contest it. Were you playing with sprinting rules by chance or nah? Uh, we were, but I didn't utilize sprinting. So, um, yeah, I could have sprinted. That would have helped, but it still would have been Yeah, so it takes you at least three turns to get there right so yeah yeah. so that's the thing is like within he was already he already had two units right next to uh the first one that just happened to go hot and so he had kind of already had it guarded and um yeah so so it was like you could have theoretically gotten a spider at sprinting 16 inches or a what do you call it a viper sprinting 16 inches on the third turn to contest that first one that went hot on his side but you just chickened out huh no, I'm well, just yeah, it was, time. <laughs> no, it was like I well, and this was part of it because I thought, oh, one went hot over there. It'll most likely have one hot here. So I wanted to use my quick units to just um, get objectives. Right. And just mm-hmm. like have them hop around and get TMM four. But of course, none, none came, <laughs> none came hot on my side. And so mm-hmm. like my fast units were kind of wasted there, whereas maybe I could have you know gone straight over there. And and that's maybe something I would do in the future is just like immediately send out a little, you know, a little pack of lights or something like that to go towards whatever one goes. Yeah, hot. You're like quick response force, whatever. They can go and just yeah. contest it and break the capture, yeah. you know, if you can yeah. break that second turn capture where they're about to capture it uh, feels great. You know? <laughs> I can and imagine that they do a whole nother two turns and uh, <laughs> shout out to shout out to my boy, Jake, too. Once upon a time, he accidentally moved a unit off one he was about to capture totally uncontested and like oh uh-huh. crap i gotta start it over again dang it <laughs> pretty, pretty fun scenario there he helped you out there whoopsie daisy yeah um but overall i would say i really i really enjoyed this one and i can see a lot of replayability so going into our next question you know replayability um or one of our next questions I can see a lot of that because the objectives are not stationary. They depend on being placed in different locations so that not only will your terrain change, but the objectives are in different places each game as well. So you've got player forces, terrain, and objectives being different in every game that this is played. So I really like that uh, as far as replayability. How how often do you think you would kind of play with this one, Alex? Mm, I've got at least four games of it under my belt. There might be some other ones I'm not remembering. And, you know, they've all been very memorable, very good. I'd, I'd play this uh, pretty much all the time. I, I don't think I'd play it with uh, someone that's, like, brand new to the game or someone that's looking for something a little more casual because it does make you think quite a bit. Yeah. But I, I overall, I uh, think it's a very highly replayable, either in a, I mean, a competitive setting. You know, there could be some oddities with terrain and whatnot if you're trying to be a little hyper-competitive there. Um, but I, I, I would definitely play it all the time for, uh, campaigns and whatnot. You can think of always something interesting to have to go and capture out in the field, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, John, you're back, back with, with us, you. man. I, I've been listening to you guys' conversation. Very nice. entertaining. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Always. Answer the last five oh, questions. No. Go. Exactly. <laughs> did I enjoyed the scenario. Yes. What did you think of when this? I, when would you play the scenario? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for pickup play almost exclusively. Yeah. Um, replayability uh-huh. scenario. Uh, I wouldn't mind playing it every now and then. And I think that's where we're at. We're at three, right? Uh huh. Yep. 
Yeah, so um, I think for myself, I could see it. Uh, I definitely see the narrative angle because as a GM, you could use this as one. But I would kind of make it less of a both sides have equal access and more of a um, kind of an unequal, you know, attacker defender where the, you know, maybe the it's some sort of something for the defender and the attacker has to go and take it or something like that. But I like the setup for it and you could definitely kind of maneuver around that type of thing for a narrative setting for pickup play. I like it a lot because as is it offers both players or even, you know, groups of players kind of equal footing as to where things are being put and placed. And hopefully the terrain is somewhat equal on both sides. So I think I think it has a pretty good, you know, like John said, as far as tournaments, it might be random. um, It could be because you do have that dice roll um, aspect to it where the luck, you know, you're kind of like disadvantaged, not for anything that you did, but for something that and, and that is, you know, part of dice rolling, but you weren't the one rolling the dice or whatnot. You know, it's not really completely in your hands that way. But yeah, I could see something like that being. Yeah, not the best for some tournament situations. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I mean, we kind of maybe someone uh, somewhat mentioned these, some of these things, but is there anything about this scenario that you guys think could make it like go pretty one sided uh, pretty quick? Yeah, you know, I just mentioned like, you know, I didn't get anything hot on my side for the first three turns, and then there was only two left that were kind of accessible to me. Uh, uh, what do you think, I- John? was just going to echo what you said basically where if you place uh objectives well or poorly uh is a big factor on how the game turns out and then the order that objectives activate in is a big factor on how the game goes too so both those things um yeah yeah agreed alex what do you think anything that that uh kind of from the scenario standpoint could benefit one player versus another yeah, I mean, the word could in that question tells all it is. Like, yeah, absolutely could become one-sided yeah. if, you know, all the objectives that are easy for your opponent to get go hot and they can set up their nice little sniper nest and keep you from approaching them, you know. <laughs> yeah. set up. It's definitely could become one-sided, which, as you alluded to, I think is why its place should not be in tournament play, but in either a campaign thing or a, maybe you just want to set up as a casual thing instead i I mean i will say you know those games where you know if if you were doing for tournament two you'll have some games where the luck will make it become one-sided and they'll be over quick but you'll have some games where it's gonna go to turn 10 because it got that uh crazy right so yeah it definitely can become one-sided yeah and i think actually you know thinking more about you know if the primary and secondary points are equally weighted which we were not taking it to be that case. If they are equally weighted, then I think that that you know things becoming hot becomes less kind of weighty itself because there are other ways to get points other than just getting those primary objectives. That's right, you just murder your opponent. Um, but it will be bringing another great point though, right? Because what if you don't have an equal number of units? You know, right? Like. Someone could just clean off my 10 field medics I bring or something, some cheese ball, <laughs> and then they get 10 victory points all of a sudden, right? You know? <laughs> That's so gross, man. You know, I think this is really designed around having an equal number of units per side or equal number of units you want to count as scoring for that metric or that can uh-huh. capture objectives. You know, I've I played it before where you say only like mechs and vehicles can capture objectives, but not, you know, infantry when someone 
brought infantry and the other person didn't, you know, but I think having that equal, equal equality there is very important, especially with that. If you want to take that secondary objective victory point as equal face value as a capturing objectives. Yeah. With that in mind, does that kind of inhibit its ability to be kind of brought out in kind of pickup play where you kind of already have to have a certain number of units that you're kind of agreeing on beforehand? Um, just thinking about that because, yeah. you know, I played my son and we definitely said, okay, max is eight units. We're playing with 250 PV type things. We already kind of like had it set before we started. What do you think like walking into a store and being like, oh, well, I, I just brought all my tanks and infantry, you know, that's, that's gonna, that gives you, but basically gives you opportunity to get more points than, than I can. Yeah, that's a good point. Makes it more of a semi pickup game, I guess. Although, I mean, if you think, depends on what you call a pickup game, right? Because you do a pickup game, you have to decide upon the parameters of your game. Set the parameter of your game as we will have equal number of units or scoring mm-hmm. units, then done deal. But it does add another inhibitor to the pickup experience. Yeah, I, I gotta say, Battletech is pretty unique yeah. in my experience for being like a little unfriendly on the pickup side. It's like, okay, what rule set are we using? Okay, what, what level of points are we bringing? Okay, what era are we playing? It's like, okay, <laughs> a little bit much. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, and it it is kind of like once you get into it, it's kind of like you get used to that, and you kind of ask those questions. But as especially coming from maybe different games and coming to BattleTech, you're like, well, doesn't everyone just play in the same thing? Or you know, I just show up and play the scenarios, right? Yeah, not quite. Um, so I think there is, you know, that definite like. I mean, some people can just throw together a force with what they've got on hand and it, and it might equal out, but maybe there is a little bit of yeah, homework to yeah. do before this one. I, I, I don't so know they, what uh, other players solutions are, point. and this is kind of an aside, but, but one local player I play with a lot, uh, John M, he has a binder of cards for the units that mm-hmm. he actually owns. And then in, in the front of the binder, he has like a little cheat sheet for like converting PV for like skill level. And like, he just has the cards. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. In the binder are the little like Alpha Strike cards, and they've already been cut out and sleeved. So he can just like flip through his binder yeah. and be like, okay, I'm going to take this Viper. What variant do I want? Okay, it's this PV. Let me check my cheat sheet. I'm going to make it skill three and like include, you know, increase PV by seven or whatever. It's really cool. I, on the other hand, just like well, yeah, and I, pick the units I, I think use most often and I just show yeah. them into a small uh, like uh, deck box from like Magic. So. Uh, a little bit lazier on my part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like your Urban Mech, your Arctic Fox, your Hussar. <laughs> right. your time, to vote, time to vote Anthem off the island. Right you. You're done. Uh, <laughs> your Penetrator. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Um, you know, to your to your point, John, yeah, I've I've played with John M and and uh I do like that aspect. And actually I think it plays well into the aspect of Battletech that we're what can I say? Slightly less anal retentive about like what you see oh, is yeah. what you get. So like proxying is pretty yep. okay in BattleTech. So I think in that case, you know, as long as you have, you know, for Alpha Strike the cards or for for Classic or for you know uh, what was Destiny by by DFA, you know, uh, if as long as you have kind of the sheets and information, then the actual minis yeah. is kind of the easier yeah. part. I think. So I think, I think with the exception that, of that GW people, like I think the hobby as a whole has kind of moved away from the whole like what you see is what you get stick because uh, it's just a pain in the ass, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are many units that I want to play, but I don't want to haul around like a huge case. I know, I know, some people love the old like little extendable like mm. travel bag type thing. They're wheeling it around and everything, but yeah. 
And if it was what you see, what you get. So, yeah, the PPC on your Timberwolf A isn't blue, so you can't play with Timberwolf A. It has to be Timberwolf I was going to say that everyone would modify their dasher to be a dasher H. Be like, this is a seven heavy small lasers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, there's a lot of great modding of mechs out there. You know, a lot of awesome, you know, kit bashing people do, but, you know, definitely not a requirement in my book. Hopefully yeah. not in anyone's book. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, as far as any other things that I, that I thought of about things that could kind of sway, um, I think I mentioned, you know, the terrain and everything and that, how that plays a role. Um, also, you know, the era, I think really gravitates towards the faster yeah. end of things on this, especially if you're playing with the one-to-one conversion, um, because you know succession wars trying to get across a, oh my a map that size is pretty hard yeah. while while still re- yeah while still retaining the ability to actually destroy things um so i would say you know at least clan invasion and beyond for this yeah. one if you want to play it at the size that is recommended um but other than that i think uh we played 250 pv each mm-hmm. and that seemed fine uh, I think it probably can scale this one, although you, you know, you have to keep so much space in between each of them that maybe you can only scale it to a certain amount. But I don't know. We I, uh, I, we played I, like on a. I ran it four as by a four, so. multiplayer scenario with John and Max on a four by four, and I, for the fun of it, we all had four hundred PV. So that was a, a pretty big game. <laughs> that was a full company, Ooh, full wow. company each. <laughs> That's a lot I like total. it. So so, how was it? How was this a larger? I mean, did you keep it the same number of? Uh, yeah, so well, I kept it six, what? so each player gets to place two. And I think in multiplayer, I would add a seventh marker again as a tiebreaker. But I also misunderstood. I didn't remove the sixth marker mm-hmm. once the fifth one went hot. So that was a a blunder on my part. Um, That's probably fine with a three player free for all, right? That actually sounds like a not a bad modification to. For the for yeah, um, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. Agreed. We accidental uh, win for John. We um, the variants definitely came in where like the markers that John placed went hot first, and he just scooped them up while Max and I were blasting each other in the face. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, um, <laughs> it was fun. It's it's just a bit random, and like the entire time I was thinking, is like, man, like this the objective placement and the terrain placement all this game that I kind of would want one or the other to be like fixed either the objectives are preset or you the players like set up the terrain beforehand and then set up the objectives yeah so so going into you know things that we might want to change about this that's that was kind of my thought was maybe there needs to be some sort of control on this like for six like two go in the middle of the map and then the other two are kind of like you know place wherever you want uh according to the rules but maybe something where uh, there's a little bit more access to both teams for at least some mm-hmm. of the objective zones. Um, that was kind of the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, any other thoughts, John, about things you might change? Um, it's really interesting playing a game where like capturing a scenario is permanent. That's not how most scenarios play out. You know, like you can always contest an objective. So that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I like that. Like the security you get as a player, and you're like, oh, I captured that. Like that's nice. Um, but yeah. uh, um, in terms of tinkering, yeah, it's a you know um, terrain placement or objective placement. Um, I think if you wanted to make the uh, scenario more competitive, 
you would probably fix the zones. Um, and like offhand, my idea would be like a hexagon that's centered on the middle of the board, and then each zone is equidistant from the center. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, interesting. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, but that's about it. It was a fun one. Like yeah. it's it's great for casual play. Yeah. Yeah, Alex. Any thoughts? Any thoughts that you've had about what you might change or add to this one? Well, I'm realizing now that both of you guys did this in Alpha Strike, not in Hexless Classic BattleTech. So I'm thinking through a scenario that you were going through, Matt, where you're, huh? That objective went high on the other side of the board. Maybe I could get my Spider or my Viper there in time to contest it. Mm-hmm. But he's got two mechs that maybe throw like four damage at short range or something sitting there. So I'm gonna get nuked if I do that. Yep. Well, if you do this in Hexus Classic, that same spider that you get over there will probably survive a little bit longer just because, you know, the way that Classic and Alpha Strike work a little differently there. So yeah. those risks that you can take where you want to really challenge an objective with a light mech and go into some danger, you you have a higher chance of surviving that in Hexus Classic, which is how I, I believe that the Death From Above Wargaming guys first thought of this scenario and made it happen. And and I've played it mostly in Classic myself, which might be why I have a little bit different view of it than you guys do in an Alpha Strike. So uh-huh. I guess to change things, uh, hmm. yeah, I think that maybe it doesn't work out quite as well in Alpha Strike and the changes you propose in Alpha Strike would be some really solid changes to help bring some of that back in the balance better. But I don't hmm. have any other changes myself to, to, to propose. I said a bunch of talking and didn't really answer your question. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it's, it's great. It, it's great to have like a different, because you know, this is some, this packet that they put out is for use in, in all the varieties. And so yep. I think that's yep. an interesting aspect to the, to the whole DFA campaign system. I'm sure we'll review some of the other um, missions in this packet, but I just as kind of the first one, I thought, Oh yeah, this is super interesting because they're trying to provide kind of a general template and then you take it and plop it into whatever thing you like to play. So I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, it technically does work with Alpha Strike, right? I, I do think. Yeah, that, it worked. Like, like, but they're not supposed to be the same game. They're and, not uh, the same know, game. And they're not. And I think that the different experiences are, are, are definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely okay to have different experiences with each, each game system. For sure. Um, you know, in my, of course, my, my mixed up mind, um, I was already like, oh, what if we did this? You know, so what I was thinking, what if instead of it being a permanent thing, it was like a, a kind of like you captured the objective, but the objective wasn't stationary. It was like a type of an escort back to base type thing um, where mm. you, you kind of have to keep it going. I mean, it's yours until someone takes it from you, but uh, you can actually move it. So uh, there's a little bit more chance of, you know, your quicker units catching up with the other with the other team trying to like protect the team as it goes, you know, the escorting the whatever, the VIP or whatnot. Yeah, and maybe limit the speed of whatever's escorting the VIP back mm-hmm. so you don't have like a, a dash or doing it all in two turns yeah, or whatever. It's perfectly that, that fair and legitimate like strategy. A four inch move or something crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think because it, then it's like it's more of the oh I don't it's not like a, I sit in one place I pick up the objective point and then I'm free you know I'm free to move about as, as if nothing had happened uh, with that whatever unit captured the objective so I think something to kind of make it so that it's more of a long term type objective capture rather than just a short term and then move on so like you're you're really investing this one unit into capturing it. And then maybe if you're escorting or whatnot, that you have to keep it, you know, like John mentioned, 
maybe something to keep the objective might be something to, to try out at least. Yeah. yeah I, this might be a separate conversation, yeah, but in my own, like putting together uh, casual scenarios for the game shop, I've lately been experimenting a lot with differing the amount of VP scored per uh, objective. Like some objectives are worth more VPs than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also experimented having them not be scored every round. So like sometimes scenarios will only be scored you know, at the bottom of every even round, you know, two, four, six with like an eight turn tournament. Um, mm. So it's, it's still not just like random, but it's, just yeah, it's differentiated spread out. Um, is that, but that the kind of idea of activating scenarios randomly is pretty interesting. Um, like you could even, it, it's slightly more fair version, I guess, you know, if you did have six scenarios and in every turn scenarios was double weighted, you know what I mean? Um, but mm-hmm. it's fun. It's something mm-hmm. to think about. Uh, I can't imagine. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed. I can't imagine playing oh, go ahead. Sorry, John. Alpha Strike in a one to one conversion. That seems so slow. Like, and I, I know we're going way off topic, but like that is just <laughs> mind boggling for me. <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, yeah, my son even mentioned, oh, man, it's it's making my mind kind of go crazy because I keep thinking I can move further. And, and it just looks weird, right? So, like, your Wolverine on it can only walk five inches. So he's just, like, got, like, gum stuck in his hips or something. Yeah. Like, he's just... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that the whole idea behind it was to make a 4 by 4 board, which is what the DFA guys that wrote this use, like, seem huge instead of small. I think that Aaron's one of the main yeah. ringleaders over there, and he, at one point in time, on one of his episodes or something, said something like he's a like a admitted like long range combat fanatic or something like that. So it, it really opens up the board in some sense. Quick question. Were you guys playing with the same uh, like range brackets, like uh, 6, 24, 42, or did you half that as well when you played? I played the same range brackets, but the reduced modifiers. So maybe we did that wrong. No, um, I played we did. just yeah. regular alpha strike, full speed, full range. Cool, cool. All right. Yeah, yeah I mean, it definitely... I get the idea of trying to make a smaller area kind of extrapolatedly large because you're moving that much more slowly. Um, and I, I it definitely, you know, it was a different game playing with that. And it was easier to hit things, even though you were further away, just because of the reduced um, modifiers that we were using. But uh, yeah, it was definitely different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was fun still. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, anything else uh, about the intercept mission before this we is not a demerit off. against the mission itself, but more um, kind of a complaint of the packet is that I just wish that the more of the relevant information was within the packet itself. So, like um, detailing what is crippling damage, I wish that was in the packet, um, and there was. Oh, and like suggestions for like forced construction. Um, I just feel like those mm-hmm. those two omissions kind of hurt. So connecting the scenario, I guess, like overall, like the score in my mind, because like I wish that I knew what the designer had in mind. I guess so. Kind of connecting their their kind of their regular play packet with the mission packet or something like, or at least yeah, some sort of like relevant sheet yeah, to QRS. the scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, because I could find the information, but it was definitely elsewhere and not included yeah. in the same packet. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy, you know, DFA stuff. Um, but it is, you're right. It is a little bit segregated in that, in that, uh, in that area. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about for intercept Alex? Yeah. So I came in this with a, like a, you know, super high, like a plus 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 rating, <laughs> but you guys have certainly given me some stuff to think about and point out some things I didn't thought about for some of the, uh, for lack of a better word, I suppose flaws with it or, or, uh, incongruities, things that could be a little hard to make it wrap around. Um, I, 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 I do want to think more about the DFA guys have in the beginning of their videos, some comp star disclaimer, like a, the blue screen you see on VHS, VHS yeah. tapes about <laughs> like, don't copy my tape. It's one like comp star warning, like make yeah. it your own or something like that. It says, sure. I can't remember what the point is, but yeah. it's definitely one where if you just pull out of the box with, without everything, I think you guys have pointed out some things that make it difficult. So, I'd say just definitely converse with your opponent and uh, make sure you're on the same page, same number yeah, of I, units. You know, you have same expectations and all that stuff for this one. A little bit, a little more disclaimer for that. And, and I think that's honestly here. like my biggest sure. thing with DFA itself is that like they have such high quality like production value and like I, I like the battle reports, but like they always have their own rules. <laughs> so like sometimes I like I just can't get yep, into it because yep. I'm like, what what's happening? Like how why can he only shoot eleven inches? I'm like, okay. <laughs> how are you hitting him on a yeah. seven at like, you know, right. forty yeah. inches away so, or whatever, right? Yeah, struggle <laughs> with me sometimes. yeah, and they've definitely, you know, they've definitely bought into their own suggestion to make it your own. And and that that is for sure. Uh but speaking of which, you know, we we forgot to we omitted doing our grades for our first scenario, but we'll start here. So you have to give an A through F. Um, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I was drawing out, you know, our listeners. Um, Okay, so your grade for the DFA intercept mission, starting with John. Uh, C plus. C plus, okay. Alex, what do you got? Well, I could go on a really long speech about how not one size fits all, blah, 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 but I'll just (laughs) say A minus instead. Okay. And that's what I also gave it. It was an A minus because I really enjoyed myself and I could see how this could be just slightly modified for each system and would still work kind of as, as given. Um, so A minus for me. Okay. And let's hop back to the Wolfnet AS350 bunkers scenario. Let's start off with Alex. What grade would you give bunkers? I'll give it a plain old A. I think it does exactly what it's supposed to do. Uh, for exactly the purpose it's there for, and lots of fun all the time. A for me. Nice. Okay, A for Alex. Let's see, uh, John. Right. There's no J. Uh, so a B, give it a, a minus for me for bunkers. Okay, A minus. And myself, I give it a B plus <laughs> because I've been too butt hurt by it before. Dare, so, dare. Uh, yeah, and that's perhaps my own. Yeah. Uh, I've I've been beat several ways. All the listeners, bunkers, make sure to message Matt. It was Matt probably all, all my fault. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> tears, tears, tears. It's true. <laughs> uh, okay, well, before we finish up, anything else you guys want to plug? Anything else you oh, guys want to? Thanks for having me on the show, Matt. Uh, I always like talking about scenarios, and uh, it's good to talk with you again, Alex. You know, Team Navy over here. Uh, yeah, we, we didn't get a chance to bring it up naturally, so I'm doing it now. Yeah. And, exactly. uh, that's right. Rick over, Rick over, Rick over. Yeah, that's it for me. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, Alex, how about you? I guess I'll just give a shout out to everyone I've played these two scenarios against, which uh, I mentioned for Bunkers already. I played once against uh, Brian here locally. 
Ben, uh, Chandler, uh, probably some others I'm not forgetting. If I forgot you, I'm sorry. And then I know I've did intercept uh, against, at least against my wife once during the pandemic. Uh, Jake here locally, uh, Dan here locally. And then I didn't actually play, but I hosted a game for Jake and Brian to play on some of my terrain. And again, probably other people I forgot. Uh, but shout out to y'all for giving me some ammo of which to speak about these scenarios today. And uh, shout out also for Matt for totally revamping LVO for this next time around. I don't think I can make it, but I'm really excited for what you've done for the thing and for thanks for doing the scenario deep dives. These are really cool. I think uh, they'll help people out with trying to figure out what they what great scenarios are out there to play. Or and uh, it's really awesome. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks a lot, Alex. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You know, getting actually scenarios ready for LVO, and this there's there will be one quite similar to this one there uh, for one of the events. So uh, it's been really fun delving into these scenarios because. And what really brought it up was one day I went on Sarna, and they have a like a scenario packet page, and I could not believe the number of scenarios that were, you know, actual scenario packets that involved many scenarios for each one that were on there. So it's been great to at least delve into a couple per month and kind of give people more opportunity to to say, oh, maybe we'll try this one out with our local group. So it's definitely been fun. Mission objectives complete. Uh, thanks both of you guys for being on. Uh, just last last thing before we go here. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up, and after Thanksgiving is this thing called Black Friday, I guess. Um, for Black Friday and for kind of the holiday season, our sponsor, Aries Games and Minis, uh, will have a sale. So you can uh, save some monies on all the stuff that you continually want to buy that is Battletech related over at Aries Games and Minis. So go check that out. Uh, he'll probably put up some sort of uh, advertisement, but if not, go out, go over and uh, check out their website. We'll also have PDFs of both of these scenarios in the Valhalla Club podcast Discord uh, within the channel for the scenario showcase. So you can check those out kind of in a Oh, it's not. It'll be very like kind of generalized type thing. And then we'll give links for where you can find the the actual rules for everything. Um, and last thing, you know, if you are listening and you have this scenario that you love or a scenario that you really don't like or anything in between, definitely leave some sort of comment in the Discord. Let us know about it and maybe you'll help us cover it in the near future. And with that, Thanks, John. Thanks, Alex. And that is Scenario Showcase number two. Thanks, guys. Thanks.